Welcome to Series 2 of Pathfinders Pod, conversations with entrepreneurs on systems change and leadership in a post-COVID world. My name is Tessa, and today I'm delighted to bring you a two-part series for these next two episodes of Pathfinders Pod. We're hearing from none other than the World Authority on Corporate Responsibility and Sustainable Development, John Elkington. He is an author, advisor, and serial entrepreneur, currently founding partner and executive chairman of Volans, a future-focused business working at the intersection of the sustainability, entrepreneurship, and innovation movements. For this episode and the next, we'll be listening to John and the lead co-founder Maggie Dupree discuss their motivations and resilience in continuing this important work, the value of dismantling racist systemic structures, intergenerational knowledge sharing, and we'll hear insights from John Elkington's latest book, Green Swans, published earlier this year. Hello, Maggie. Hi, John. How are you? Well, it's a glorious blazing red orange sky here in London as the sun sets and um, you're so far ahead as to be invisible but um, we're, we're good we're absolutely run off our feet it's been an extraordinary year extremely positive weirdly. I was wanting to open with how you've been spending the pandemic and you know so many people have been baking sourdough bread or binge watching Netflix. I don't imagine those top tier lists. So I'm just curious over the past year, kind of how you've been spending your time and what's shifted for you personally. Well, I think the main thing that's um, shifted is that my life before the pandemic was very much flying around the world uh, fairly continuously. And um, that's uh, obviously uh, stopped. And, and the new book came out in April, Green Swans. And what's happened since is that all of what I used to do by flying places has now happened in this sort of format, you know, sort of virtually. And I've done well over 100 virtual keynotes since April in 30 wow. plus countries. And you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have that opportunity in the sense that you know, if this had happened 10 years ago, God, God would have helped us or we would have been uh, marooned. But I do find the Zoom and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Teams and all these other formats a bit of a stretch. I, you know, I, 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 I find sitting close into a screen and, and, and trying to interact with somebody, it's just different. And, and, and I find this will be different, but, but many of them are a sort of net drain. They, they, they take energy out of you, whereas I typically find being with people in the same space you know, invigorating, energizing, yeah. and so on. And I suspect you you do too. Yeah, no, I think we share that. And I was thinking about this conversation and trying to imagine us on the sofa, you know, in <laughs> Volans, right? You know, where yeah. we spend a lot of time having these conversations and there is something about, yeah, just being being in person. Although it's interesting, we, we have one of our members, he's a scientist at Google, and he was talking to us about how what Zoom does force us to do is look at each other's faces a lot more than yeah, we would normally. That's true. That's true. And so there's, yeah, now there's I can't a sense. Look away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this, yeah, there's a face to face connection, which he says, I mean, he can explain the neuroscience behind it, but does something to our brain to make us feel a bit more connected. So, yeah. um, you know, maybe in these one on ones, it feels a little bit more intimate, but I agree that's where you have the Brady Bunch screens, it can be quite a, a drain. <laughs> 
Well, so that, that's one thing. And then, then others have been, as you know, and you, you will have experienced, this, this sort of pandemic of ours has acted in a very different way from previous shocks to the system. And you will remember that you know, we've been mapping the societal mm -hmm. pressure waves back to 1960, but starting in the work in 1994. And every time previously we've had a big shock, largely mm -hmm. financial shocks, you've had a retreat, you know, that the, the, our change agenda has gone on the back uh, foot. This time it's been so profoundly different as to be quite extraordinary. And we're starting to see people saying, even in business, that, that COVID-19 has accelerated by about five years things that were happening already. Now, that's a mixture of good, bad, and ugly, but mm -hmm. um, the, the sustainability agenda has really come through it, I think, uh, in, in re remarkably good order. And I was at a venture capital two-day um, session here in London at the beginning of this week with Zoo Capital, and their CEO at one point said, 2020, when we look back at it, will have been the big bang for sustainability, oh. you know, referring back to stock exchanges and so on. Mm. Um, and I think there's something to that. But on the other hand, I think it's it's putting a spotlight on the sustainability industry and saying, okay, now what? Yeah, I mean, it's right. It's like, okay, we've been banging the drums for decades. I mean, you have been leading this movement for decades and it's like, okay, so now what? I, I, Hand I, me I, the, uh... the map. <laughs> Exactly that. And I think, you know, we did a, a conference in, again, in London in January before the pandemic with Aviva Investors, very, very large conference. And, you know, I, it was called the Tomorrow's Capitalism Forum. But the, the strap line I had un, underneath it won't surprise you, but it was step up or get out of the way. So it was yeah. it was fairly in people's faces, but already mm. I was feeling that. And increasingly, I feel it even more intently. And you look at what's happening in Australia again, what's just happened in California, what's happening, uh, you know, 20%, no, it's almost 30% now, the Pantanal, a wetland, for God's sake, has burned in, in Brazil. How long will it take us to, to wake up? It's an extraordinary time. And I think... Uh, an incredibly exciting time. I feel the next 10 to 15 years, if I you know, make it, will be by far the most interesting and exciting and challenging of my life. But also politically, I think they're going to be the most dangerous. And so, again, that, that injunction to step up, I think, applies to us all. How, how is the mm -hmm. pandemic been for you, Maggie? Well, I mean, I'm here in the U.S. right now, as you know. Yeah. And so it's been a really, um, it's been an interesting I guess that's an understatement. It's, it's been a really interesting time. And what I, I guess I've enjoyed is exactly that energy of like, first of all, naming stuff that we yeah. hadn't been talking about. So yeah. language around racism and white supremacy, which was like whispered, like cancer on the sidelines yeah. of conversations has come into the heart, yeah. Yeah. right? You know, and so my mom's reading a book about how to be an anti-racist, you know, it's, it's just permeating all the conversations and I think spotlighting the fact that this country, but it's a global phenomenon, right? Like yeah. has not done the healing that yeah. it needed to do, has not righted. So, so it's interesting, I'm kind of jumping ahead a bit, but when I was reading your book and the language of regeneration, you know, is yeah. being used more and more, 
you know, my mind is thinking about like, well, regeneration to me speaks to healing and there's healing the environment. There's also healing our relationship with each other. And I, yeah, so, so that's been really present here um, in the U S is the race conversation and being spotlit by the inequalities happening with who's on the front line, who's driving our buses in New York, you know, a hundred of the public servants in New York dying from COVID because they're keeping our transport system running, you know, all the stuff. So that, so when I was thinking about your wicked problem framing i thought gosh if you'd written this book this year you know might you have put that as as a wicked challenge i think you know one of the questions i've been asked a lot recently and and just before i say that you know there's different forms of healing and i think very often people go for shallow healing just to make things better Mm -hmm. you know they're there it's going to be all right and unfortunately if you've got a boil or you've got a cancer or whatever Mm -hmm. you you've got to go deep before you can actually properly allow things to heal and i think what we're waking up to and in, in different ways, different issues, different challenges, different parts of the world is we have an immense amount of work to do. And it's not just going to be done in a political time scale of you know, a few years. This is, it's decades and it's a pangenerational set of challenges. And in, in a way, and COVID-19 has shown it so clearly, everything links to everything else. And so it, it would be very easy just to throw up our hands and um, in, in horror and sort of pull out the deck chairs and, and, and make use of the sun while we've got time. But I think this is truly systemic. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I think we've all got to rethink uh, what we've been doing. And I, I, I think people are beginning to do that, but they also need leadership and they need support to drive forward in the right way. So I'm glad your, your your mother's reading the book. We should all be reading that and other types of books now as well. Well, I maybe we can come back to that at the end. I love book recommendations because I know you've <laughs> always got a stack next to you. But the I guess the question more, I guess what I'm energized by listening to you though, is this that this is exciting, right? So it's it's challenging. Yeah. Uh, but I guess for so many stepping in, and we're seeing people who didn't see themselves as part of this movement stepping in, right? Like mm-hmm. making change, whether it was just, you know, at the beginning making hand sanitizer, or, you know, I love the story. There's a human resource professional at Netflix who read about the lack of capital, you know, in the black communities. And he went to the CFO of Netflix and said, couldn't we put our cash into black owned banks? So it's just these people kind of saying, oh, well, wait, maybe I have a role to play. So I, I really appreciate that energy that you're bringing, you know, after a long career in the space to say, I'm more energized now, I'm more fired up than ever. Um, and maybe uh, like I could ask you this question, like where, John, where does that fire come from for you? Well, I will answer it, Maggie, but you asked me a question which I skittered away from a moment ago, which was if I'd written Green Swans, the book, mm. uh, you know, in the midst of COVID-19, what would that have been? And, 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 and some people have asked, would that have changed the entire book? And the answer is no, it wouldn't. It would have been another example of the sort of challenges that I was trying to uh, spotlight and address. I mean, the book already covered things like mass vaccination as as a green swan, because it's not just that that they help prevent a disease, they enable all sorts of other things if if you have that sort of mass health. Your question of where the sort of the stamina comes from. Elaine, you know, my wife has often said that my biggest problem, perhaps my greatest resource as well, is just the stamina. And my father had it. I mean, he died last year, age 98 or 99. My mother died last year, age 97. And you know, I've always 
sort of said, and not entirely joking, I didn't want to live beyond 70, and now I'm 71, <laughs> and I'm feeling probably I do have to get used to the idea I might be here a little bit longer, and I feel that suddenly I'm beginning to get a sense of why I'm here on this planet, mm. which I won't say I haven't totally uh, had some sense of in the past, but it's much clearer now, and it's a bridging role, and it's a bridging between different sectors, as, and that's been forever. But it's also a bridging between different generations. And one of the things I've often been asked uh, is, why do I spend so much time with uh, younger people? Um, and, and part of the answer is, you're just forever learning. Uh, but now I think it's much more important politically, in the sense that younger people would have every right to be absolutely incensed with what we're in the process of I'm speaking as a boomer, uh, baby boomer, um, what they're in the process of leaving the, them. And I'm seeing people of my age basically saying, well, we tried, we were environmentalists or whatever it was. Um, uh, and I, my, my brain sort of says, well, actually, no, you weren't properly. You, you drove your SUVs and all the rest of it. Um, but beyond that, you can't simply back out now and abandon younger people uh, mm -hmm. to their fate. You, we've all got to work together to begin to understand and sort out these uh, challenges. And I, I sort of weirdly look forward to that uh, immensely. I think it's one of those generational challenges, which when they come and they present themselves in the right way and people respond in the right way, can be immensely energizing and exciting. So I, that, that's where part of it comes from. The rest is, I mean, just I oscillate between pessimism and optimism, realism or, and hope, and I just, at the moment, I, I just feel there are moments where everyone thinks they know what they're doing. And those are very difficult times in which to drive fundamental change. But when people are off balance, as long as they're not absolutely incensed and uh, angry and all the rest of it, over time, you can sometimes drive immense change during those sort of periods. And I think that's where we are. And I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. I mean, in the book, I talked about the U-bend, and I sort of said, you know, people are beginning to talk about V-shaped and W and U-shaped and K-shaped recoveries and so on. Well, you know, good luck, but we're probably in one of these sort of discontinuities where things continue to fall apart for a period. So thank God for the Biden-Harris administration, but, but even so, they're going to struggle with a lot of these challenges, and I think for quite some time. So... What, what drives you forward? What, what, what gives you the, 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 the hope and the optimism? Because you know, when I, you know, we've known each other for many years and I, mm. you've always seemed in good cheer and, 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 and with the sense that the world was improvable. I'm sure you must have your darker moments, but what, where does that come from? For me, it is when I'm close to people doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. So and that journey started, uh, you know, before I started working with you, but was really kind of ignited during our work together. And again, coming back to the sofa conversations, yeah. you know, I just remember this just constant flow of people on the front lines of whatever that was, whether it was plastics or inequality or slavery or, you know, that, that just knowing those people exist because yeah. we don't read about it, you know, and I've, I've had, we have entrepreneurs at CNN and we have these conversations that they struggle to tell the good story. And so we get this barrage of negativity, which yes, is, is the reality that's there. But I draw hope from, you know, sitting in conversations like yesterday, we had a, a meeting with entrepreneurs and we're focusing on helping them tell their stories. 
and the work they're doing is just incredible. You know, we have a, there's a member from Ikea who's looking at like, how do we use an Ikea as a platform to re resolve the inequality dilemma that we face in society. I mean, she has this community revolution language she's using. And she said, I met with our CFO and the only thing he asked me was, was this reference correct? He didn't disagree with this concept. Yeah. So you have, so, yeah. so hearing conversations like that with especially people on the front lines and close to the traditional power, right? So yeah, um, yeah that for me, is just knowing that people are doing the work and that it's happening. We're prototyping the future at the same time that there's all this other, Maybe uh, negative stuff happening. Seems strange, Maggie, but um, yeah. you know, just thank you for what you've done because you know when you when you started the the social entrepreneur uh, work, you know I think it was an an area that wasn't at all well understood. And as you remember, the social entrepreneurs themselves said we didn't even realize we were part of a a thing or a, a sort of profession or uh, whatever. And and one of the things that struck me over the years is back to the conversations on couches or sofas or whatever it is. Um, sometimes people take a, a quite disproportionate amount of comfort from just being able to sort of tell their story and, and say what's working and what isn't. So, I mean, you've done a huge amount of that over that time in the league as well. So just on their behalf, thank you. Oh, well, John, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but let's chat Greenspan because you have this book that came out this year uh, and would love, I was sharing it with Lily. Lily was asking me what I was doing with my daughter for those of you listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, she's 10 and she's just absolutely obsessed with fantasy novels. She just reads, you know, one after the other. So when she heard about Green Swans, she was so excited. <laughs> It and I had to tell her unicorn or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she wanted uh, to hear more about this fantasy world uh, of yours, John. But uh, but yeah, tell us about Green Swans. Yeah, and just I also love the product recall of the triple bottom line. I just think that's genius. Well, so maybe a bit about Green Swans and and the recall and kind of what's replacing the framework for you. Yeah, happily. Uh, but firstly, to Lily, I mean, it is a fantasy world in a way. Uh, when I when I sort of started to dream it up, I, I, it did seem a little outlandish. Um, but then over time, I suddenly realized that there were also, as you did, that with with the social entrepreneur phenomenon that, that there are a lot of people working in the space that I'm beginning to uh, map and that's been profoundly exciting and then just uh, in September you had Doug McMillan the CEO of uh, Walmart you know the world's largest retailer saying we're going to become a regenerative company well wow I mean I don't particularly love uh, Walmart uh, uh, you know I think that they have a pretty checkered history but for, for a company of that size, in the way that Doug McMillan actually presented it, so video, so you could actually see his body language, I thought was very impressive and, and, and gave me a good deal of hope. But to your, your, your question around, you know, the product recall, when, when, that was 2018, June, uh, through the Harvard Business Review. And if anyone had asked me at that stage, do you have a very th well thought through business case as to why you think the triple bottom line is not working properly. I would have answered no. It's it, it's intuition. It's it's I I, I feel it more than I uh, have deeply researched it. But you know I, I've spent twenty five years watching what people were doing uh, with the concept, and what I concluded was that a lot of good work and 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 the global reporting initiative and that style of reporting, well, great as far as it went and uh, or goes. Um, B corporations, wonderful, you know, uh, sorts of companies. And again, you know, a movement building and people feeling that they're part of something uh, bigger. But so often 
people using it, the triple bottom line in a sort of trade-off offset framework. And when I, when I did the recall, firstly, the HPR people said it was the first time any management concept had been recalled uh, in their uh, knowledge, and, and they were thrilled to sort of publish it. And then I expected a barrage of you know, hostility. And I had a few people, a couple of professors from Brazil, for example, who basically said, you know, it was a stupid concept in the first place, should have been buried alive at birth. Uh, they both, that's my uh, treatment of what they said, but, uh, loosely translated from the Portuguese. But they, but they came round, both of them came round. And then lots of other people were extremely positive. And, and, and so I sort of launched this thing, this recall, but not knowing what the outcome would be. And where we where we got to was that, and, and now that I can see it, it makes sense to me at least. And I, I with all of these sort of uh, sessions I've been doing around the world, I've, I've been sort of playing it out for people and just got a uniformly positive response, which doesn't mean that I'm not looking for critiques. Still, I am, you know, that'll improve things. But it, in just very simple terms, we had the three Ps, people, planet, profit, that goes back to 1995. I'm just thinking, step it up one notch. So instead of Ps, go to Rs. Three Rs, responsibility, resilience, and regeneration. And the, what our problem has been, we thought about the triple bottom line or sustainable development or whatever we call it in the responsibility framework. How can people be nicer, better for the world, more transparent, more accountable, you know, uh, engage their stakeholders better inside and out, all of that good stuff, uh, you know, challenge their supply chain and so on. Uh, but unfortunately, that only takes you so far, and, and, and it's a percentage incremental approach. And where we've got to now is our economies, our societies, our biosphere are all wobbling. Our political system is wobbling really quite seriously. So we've got to come at this different. And I, so people are talking about resilience everywhere. People are talking about you know, individual resilience, team resilience, organizational, community, uh, economic, uh, biospheric, or whatever. Unfortunately, and I keep saying it, is you, you can't just pray for resilience and, 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 and receive it sort of as a, a sort of a, a divine blessing of some sort. You have to work for it. You have to invest in it. And it's a very long process. You know, we, we, we've benefited, all of our generations, from what was done with the Marshall Plan, what was done with Bretton Woods. An architecture was created for the global system, which we've all benefit, benefited from, taken for granted increasingly, attacked and challenged ever since Milton Friedman came into view. And now we're at this point where we've got to create the new system. And we've got to have the vision, the ambition, the stamina uh, of the leaders of the 1940s. And that's all we had time for for this episode. But join us again in our next episode to hear the second part of this Pathfinders pod with John Elkington and Maggie Dupree. We've also linked to John's book, Green Swans, in the episode description. Thanks for listening. And until then, take care of yourself and take care of each other. <laughs>